look beyond just even the people that, that may rise to the top when you look up disability rights, but start typing in things like blackness and disability or, you know, uh, LGBTQ movement and disability, things like that, so that you can really get the whole of those and maybe not even disability because a lot of times they're just not even connected. So asking the questions and diving deeper because a lot of a lot of our history has been hidden, um, specifically um, those folks that have played a significant role from intersectional um, uh, disability representation. And again, I think once we know our history, then that does cultivate a sense of pride. Today, Monday, August 9, 2021, I'm interviewing my colleague, Ali Cannington, Manager of Advocacy and Organizing at the Kelsey, and Board Member Andrea Levant, President and Chief Inclusion Consultant at Levant Consulting. To celebrate disability pride, we'll better understand how intersectional identities can shape pride learn about barriers holding us back and the role of allies in co-leading efforts alongside people with disabilities. So welcome to the Leaders for Inclusive Community podcast. I'm excited to get this conversation about disability pride. And I'd like to start with you, Andrea and Ali. So to begin, Andrea, can you tell me where you work and what you do there? Sure. I work, I lead a, a company called Levant Consulting Incorporated. We are a strategy and communications firm, and we specifically focus on disability inclusion related topics. What kind of topics does your uh, work focus on? Oh, that's a great question. We do a variety of things. They include um, consulting with companies around their strategies for how they are including and working with and marketing to disabled people. We do trainings that focus on everything from how to make your meetings accessible to disability justice to thinking about that from a race and disability perspective and accommodations and all types of things like that. And then we also have a focus on um, content marketing and communication. So uh, supporting companies with their social media, with their newsletters and you know different things like that. Just kind of helping them think about how um, they you know engage with disabled people and also portray disability in the world. So our slogan is speak disability with confidence because that's what we support organizations in, in doing. And did you recently join the Kelsey board? I did, I did. <laughs> so now Ali, can you uh, uh, tell me where what you do at the Kelsey? Yeah, thanks Isaac for having me. Uh, my name is Ali Cannington. I'm the manager of advocacy and organizing at the Kelsey. And that looks like a lot of different things. Um, and it includes doing uh, field building work to increase disabled leadership and participation across the housing field, doing state and federal advocacy 
at the intersection of disability rights and affordable, accessible, inclusive, and integrated housing. And I also get to work with you, Isaac, um, on a weekly basis, and that's that's always fun. Uh, usually, I'm on the the back end of this podcast, so honored to be uh, in conversation with you and Andrea today. Disability pride for me means celebrating who I am. What does it mean for both of you? I'm with you, Isaac. This is Andrea. It it means really, first of all, I think embracing who I am um, and the fullness of who I am, which means um, kind of bringing all of who I am, which does include disability. It also includes being a Black person. It also includes being a woman. So um, I know for me that for a lot of my life, it I didn't necessarily dis- see disability as something that I could be, you know, proud of or, you know, value. I also didn't realize that there was a whole community of people that uh, felt that way. And I also didn't know that there was, you know, so many people that were working to ensure that I could live, you know, the life that I wanted to live. And so I think with all of that coupled together, knowing that there were people, there's a history, there's a movement, there's a culture. When you bring all that together, it's it's something to be proud of, you know? Um, so that's what, what it means to me. Yeah, I resonate uh, with a lot of what, Andrea, you just spoke to. And I think for me, disability pride is ever evolving. Um, it's something I continue to live out but it's it's always changing in terms of kind of just disability pride honoring you know as as being a tool to honor my wholeness disability being a part of that multiple disabilities being a part of that as well as the other identities that i hold that are tied to people led movements for um justice and inclusion. And I also think, you know, uh, and I'll probably talk about this later, but I think when I was first taught about disability pride, I think I was given the, the definition that wasn't, that wasn't a full picture about what it means to be disabled. I think disability pride is not just like happy-go-lucky, I'm proud of being a part of this larger community, and I'm, a pr- I'm proud to have this politicized identity, but it's also hard to, to have disabilities. And I think when I've, been, when I've been experiencing more hardship in relation to my disabilities, I've questioned whether I have disability pride. And I still to this day think that disability pride is the spectrum of our relationship to disability. It doesn't always have to be this like happy-go-lucky I think of pride and I think of like parties and smiles and it like, yes, that's, that is a part of disability pride and it's much more complex and nuanced. And um, I'm trying to embrace that myself. I'm glad we're talking about disability pride because I didn't even know that that existed until recently I found out about it because I've always just known about the LGBTQ pride and always hear a lot about that, but never about disability pride. So I'm glad that we're bringing it up and talking about a topic that's not very talked about in in our community. We talk a lot at the Kelsey about intersectional disabilities. 
things like being black and queer and disabled. Can each of you share a bit about how you think intersectional sectionality identities are part of disability pride and your own identities you're proud of? Sure. Yes. So I think, you know, I mentioned it a little bit ago, but I but I'm happy to go in to that a little bit more. Um, I think that it really is important and I think speaks to what Allie was just saying. And there's so many nuances when it comes to think identity and even looking at the whole of how disability has historically been kind of um, represented in the mainstream in our society, who, who we see, you know, that are, are the types of disabilities that are often portrayed, which, you know, traditionally has been physical, you know, and even the people that we see on platforms or the little bit that we see disability in media, which is very small, still like, who is it? And it tends to be very white and very male. And so what I am appreciative of, you know, with the emergence of um, um, the framework of disability justice is, is acknowledging that we really do, that we are not a monolithic group, which means that we don't, you know, disability doesn't look the same way for every, every person. And not only does it not look the same way, and not only is it not experienced the same way, but because of the identities that we bring um, or, or that we have, it means that our experiences are, are very, very different. So my experience as a disabled Black woman is not going to be this um, and cisgendered straight, right? Black woman is not going to be the same as, you know, what I know of my dear friend Allie, who, you know, identifies as queer and is white. And so what that does mean, though, is that we have an opportunity to even within the disability community be allies to one another. Um, and I think that that's really important, too, is that you know, I think we all come into a space, especially within disability, thinking that we all think the same way and have the same types of, you know, well, this is what I faced and this is what I faced. But the fact is that because of these, you know, um, the intersections that we have with our with other aspects of culture, um, it shapes how we think, it shapes how we're treated in a space, and so much more. And so. Um, I'm grateful that we are getting there. And even just you're asking that question really speaks to the fact that, um, you know, these, this is at the forefront of our conversations within um, disability focused movements. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it was Audre Lorde who said like, there's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. And that applies to all humans. <laughs> and in the context of disability, uh, it has been necessary in order to achieve our collective mission of like full inclusion and equity that we look, that, that I continue to think about how my intersectional identities inform how I move through the world. And that includes, you know, my, my whiteness, my queerness, my class, uh, my disability, uh, my religion or spirituality and so on. And so for me, I'll just speak, you know, too briefly. One is I think as going off a little bit of what um, 
Andrea was speaking to as a white disabled person, it's been really critical for me to think about what that means in the context of, of being in the society, but also particularly working in disability uh, rights movement uh, spaces. And for me, that has meant uh, how do I hold myself and my white disabled colleagues accountable for racial, for racial justice, for uh, disability solidarity, uh, and how can, what decisions can I make in the, the, in daily ways as well as large ways that can shift the power of our movement so that it, it looks less like me <laughs> and more like the majority of the disability community, um, which are not white chair users like myself. Um, in terms of my queerness, I'm, I feel like it's such a gift to be disabled and queer as both of those identities continue to give myself permission to think outside the box and be outside the box in how I relate to myself and how I create relationships, whether that be romantic or sexual or just chosen family um, and people I care about um, in, in community. And then one thing we have to do is we have to educate people that disabilities are not always visual. There are sometimes there are people out there who are disabled that have you can't see. So we need to let people know that there are those types of disabilities. So people don't th say that since say for some say, for instance, like me, they'll say to me, I'm you're able body. You can get around on your own. You're not disabled because your visible disability is not visible. And that's something that we need to uh change so that everyone with disabilities is looked at as disabled, no matter if their disability is vis visible or not. Absolutely. A hundred percent. What are the barriers that today still get in the way of disability pride? Feel free to go first. Oh, um, well, I would have to say, you know, Isaac, you spoke to earlier about how um, you only recently learned that disability pride was a thing. Like, that still just enrages me because not it doesn't have to do with you it, it what i'm what i am angry about is that we live in in a society where that's where the norm is that people don't know that disability pride exists and that and most importantly that people living with disabilities or don't know that there is a community there's communities there are there is a movement of people who want to and are here to welcome them as, as their whole selves, disability being a part of that. Um, and that it's not, and, and so it, I think one of the barriers is the fact that we have yet to reach all people who are equally worthy of of having access to this, this knowledge and these new ways of seeing ourselves and, and, and thinking about ourselves. I mean, I remember being 17 and, and being exposed to, you know, I arrived at this uh, uh, leadership program for youth with disabilities. And I remember hearing everyone yell, like, we're here, we're loud, we're disabled and proud. And I remember being like, what the heck is this? Like, what am I about to get into? I, you know, 
I do not want to be here because I've been told that my disability is both of my disabilities are inherently wrong. And I felt so much shame. But once I heard that and then was exposed to people celebrating disability as a part of human diversity and an identity and a movement, I was my whole world transformed and not enough people get access to that information and that knowledge um, that can really change how people relate to themselves and to the world. Um, and, a, and I'll stop there, but I think that's a huge, that's a, a barrier. And yet, like, I think the work of the Kelsey, I think the work of Levant Consulting and Andrea and, and the work of so many of our comrades across the country and world are helping to make disability pride more accessible to uh, people who uh, haven't yet, haven't historically had as much access. Oh, yes. All of that. All of that. I think the thing that I would add without kind of repeating is one of the things that we talk about um, a lot in the work that we do is around the need to see yourself um, around representation, because um, when you don't see yourself reflected in day to day life, you know, from a media perspective, like when you turn on the TV, when you scroll through social media, when things are literally just not accessible to you. So when you access a website or you go on Instagram and you can't view a IGT video because it doesn't have TV video because it doesn't have captions or whatever, um, it's, it's, it's sending you know messages, whether subliminal or otherwise, that are basically saying, I'm not valuable. I'm not worth anybody's time. I'm not worth, you know, um, investment. I'm not worth being included, right? And so when you get those messages because you're because of lack of representation or you know your needs being addressed um, or acknowledged, then you essentially there comes shame, right? There comes. Um, basically uh, self-loathing and, you know, things of that nature, able, internalized ableism where, you know, we're saying, and so that's pretty much the opposite of feeling like you can be proud of who you are. And so to that, basically, you know, the challenge is for those that are in spaces that can um, ensure that we do see ourselves and that, you know, our, the things that we're putting out are accessible to people and that we are creating environments and spaces and experiences that um, are inclusive of all manner of disabilities and that essentially allow people to be their fullest selves. That's when, you know, we can go, okay, wow, I am valuable, you know, I am worthy. Uh, I am whole and I, and I'm proud. What is a moment of, a moment or experience in the last year when you felt like disability pride was really strong or that was a big win for disability pride? <laughs> well, I would have to say, um, um, so I led the, the impact um, team for Netflix's Crip Camp, which was produced by the Obamas. And 
I mean, I can't dance around the fact that being on the Oscars red carpet, you know, was a huge win for our community, specifically as a Black physically disabled woman that had a, a service dog. You know, all of that in and of itself, to me, not because I'm anything, you know, special, but because of the fact that the work of the community um, coming together um, allowed what what I just said, which is for people to see themselves. You know, um, I got so many messages from folks just saying, you know, thank you for representing me. And so I think it speaks to that that concept of when we see ourselves, we feel valuable and we can be proud. So that's definitely my win for the year. <laughs> I love this question, Isaac. Um, thank you. I think, um, I think I'm going to answer this question. So my, I think wins this, this year. And I think always is often like in the small moments where small, but like mighty moments where disabled people uh, support each other and support each other to reach their goals, um, whatever that may be. Um, and that those, when those goals are reached, it's in part because disabled people supported each other and disability was honored as well as the other like critical parts of, of each of us. So for example, like multiple people who are like multiply uh, marginalized disabled people in my life got new jobs this year or moved out of a place that was um, not accessible to them into a new, uh, into a, uh, an apartment that was more accessible. Um, uh, moments where there was there that I developed new relationships with um, disabled people uh, through the internet, uh, through virtual events, because, you know, now more than ever, we have more of those spaces. And I think each of those relationships and wins help me to see like a, a broader flow of like, disability pride being more possible, more attainable. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's not, there's so much work to be done, but if I don't count these little wins in these relationships um, and these individuals who I care deeply for, who reach their, some of their goals, like all I'll see are the losses and the lack of, of disability pride. So those um, are, feel like big wins. Both of you are professionals doing really great work and community impact. How did Pride shape the work you do or your growth as professionals? Any advice for people early in their careers? So advice for people early in their careers. I think that I, I know that I was personally, and I think we can look back, all of us have different things that we may regret, you know, and one of the things that I, I did not start kind of in this work um, around disability until I was in my late 20s. I didn't know 
I had no idea um, about the disability rights movement and the concept of disability pride and all of that. And so um, had I, I don't think that I could have done much about it at the time, but I would say, you know, if somebody ultimately has access to this, right, then it means that somehow um, they've come up, come across it in such a way that I would say, you know, whatever you can do to be, get connected to community, um, you know, uh, not just the resources, not just the things that your voc rehab counselor or your parents may show you, because those um, oftentimes are, are not really um, sort of a matter of fact in a way that isn't, isn't thinking about your whole life and what you desire. Um, but I think it's really about, yeah, getting connected to community. Now social media is such a great way to do it. You know, you have to leave your home. It's kind of going on whatever platform you enjoy and seeing what, um, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and engaging in conversation um, and learning. And then, you know, it's really not just I would have, if you would have asked me this five years ago, I would say, you know, learn disability history. Um, but I think you have to even, because for me, that was a big thing was learning about, you know, people that we know about from the disability rights movement. What, I, what I'll say now is to dig even deeper than that um, and uh, look beyond just even the people that, that may rise to the top when you look up disability rights but start typing in things like blackness and disability or you know uh, LGBTQ movement and disability, things like that so that you can really get the whole of those and maybe not even disability because a lot of times they're just not even connected. So asking the questions and diving deeper because a lot of a lot of our history has been hidden, um, specifically, um, those folks that have played a significant role from intersectional uh, disability representation. And again, I think once we know our history, then that does cultivate a sense of pride. So those are my things. Find community and, and kind of learn um, your history. I would just also say that if I'm, if I'm sharing to someone who is early in their career to give yourself permission to always be growing um, and be curious about um, yourself and how you, how your multiple identities and experiences inform the world around you um, and that your that disability pride that disability that that you know your that all of those things are yeah ever evolving and sometimes it, it's important to uh, both play um, a role where you put yourself in in maybe some newer um, situations you listen to new to voices that you hadn't necessarily heard and growing up, um, or you, uh, or you speak up, uh, in, in new and unexpected ways. Um, so I'm speaking broadly, but I think just that, and, and to remember that, like, even in moments where you feel alone, there, there, you are connected to a diverse 
like stunning, innovative, magnificent web of disabled people of all different backgrounds and identities who are with you, um, even if you don't feel it in that moment. And that relationships always can be built and can be nurtured. And um, that also will is a continued process, but those relationships to yourself um, and to others is how is is how we make it through in this world, and hopefully, um, not just make it through, but thrive and and celebrate all of who we are. Disability being a part of that. The Kelsey is a co-led co-led by people with and without disabilities. How can a- allies better support? or be part of the disability pride movement. So this, you can go first in answering this, Ali. Well, um, I would say first that I would, I would ask anyone who is interested in any topic, housing included, if you are not asking yourself how disability fits into the solutions to that particular issue, then you are missing the mark. And I invite you to really interrogate how disability and access, along with racial and economic justice, um, is essential to any topic, um, any issue that you are working on. I think a lot of people who want to be in allyship understandably get, I think, really caught up in what's the right thing to do, what's the right word to say, or what's the, you know, Anyways, though, get get really kind of anxious about all those different nuances. And I would just say to all of those questions around language that actually may end up being barriers to people getting involved, my answer is like, follow the lead of the person or people with disabilities you are relating to. Um, And if they're using certain language um, and you are non-disabled in the space, like, you want to defer to, to those individuals. Um, and that, and the answers to the given question at hand may be different for each individual. Like, as Andrea said, we are not a monolith in any way. We, it's such a diverse, diverse, diverse population. Um, but I think those questions around language can often just get in the way of people being present and, and listening and centering Um, disability voices, and then the relationship building necessary to really create allyship becomes really challenging. Yeah, I don't, honestly, Allie really summed it up really well. I think, you know, the big thing is to ask yourself who's not in the room um, and create and, and speak up about it and then create the space do whatever you can to make sure that in the future they are there. At the end of the day, no one knows their needs better than the people that are actually experiencing it for them. If you could say say something to a person who is newly disabled or someone being identified as a person with disabilities, what would you say to help them on their journey to finding pride? Well, I must, um, I think about, statement that a friend and colleague of ours, uh, Rebecca Coakley, says a lot, and that is, welcome. We're glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. 
Um, and it's the truth. You're in, you have entered or um, perhaps are identifying um, as a part of a community of um, the largest minority group in the world, which means we are so diverse, which means there is so much space for you. There's so much value for who you are. Um, and we need you. We really do. Um, because I would say, well, I know that there is so much more to be done. And with every person added every day to our community, it makes it, it's just the fact that like we're stronger together. With that, hopefully that would spark in them um, the, the desire to, you know, be engaged. I remember when I started in this work, my boss at the time said to me, you know, I got very excited because I was learning about people like Judy Human and Ed Roberts and all these, you know, folks in, in the movement. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know about this. I'm, I didn't know that I could be proud and excited. And, you know, he, he said to me, not everybody's going to be excited off the bat. Not everyone is going to, you know, be like, you know, balloons and streamers about disability because disability is not always easy. It's not easy, quite honestly. Um, and um, and there are hard days and there are, you know, and so I think there, what we do have to do a better job as um, within the community is, is the acknowledgement that we're not all at the same place um, and that you, we all have um, our own lived experiences and our own kind of way of, of really coming into or acknowledging or whether you embrace it or not. Um, it's just know that we are here, you know, and when and if you decide to engage um, more deeply with the community, there's definitely uh, those of us that are waiting and, and value you for who you are. I, I think I, I spoke to this a bit earlier. So I would just echo the welcome. And I think about um, one of my favorite poems of all time, You Get Proud by Practicing by a disabled poet, Laura Hershey. It really speaks to the need of practicing pride, practicing feeling empowered in our whole selves, disability being a part of that because we've been conditioned to believe the exact opposite. I would just send the link to that poem and, and tell those folks to follow people on social media, like Andrea, like uh, our friend and colleague, Alice Wong and the Disability Visibility Project and Crip Camp and organizations like HERD, helping educate uh, to advance the rights of the deaf uh, and so many other organizations that are led for and by disabled people, particularly disabled people who are racialized in this country and know that like your story is a part of this um, really, again, like stunning fabric of, of our world and I think the, the things that often we've been told to be ashamed about in terms of our, how our bodies and minds function in the world often is where the most innovation comes from. For my last question, I'd like to hear from you both on what you want to make home for more of. Home for more is our tagline at the Kelsey and it represents that 
there are many opportunities and ways to advance housing. What would you like to make home for more? And you can answer this first, Allie. I think, I mean, obviously home for more disability pride. Um, and I, when I think about worlds where disability pride is more accessible and represented it, represented in like such diverse ways, I think about how that can be, that can come to reality through the Kelseys in our future uh, communities and buildings that are going to be actually like living and breathing spaces where people can, where people of all different identities and backgrounds and disabilities and people without disabilities can come together and, and have the opportunity to really see each other and celebrate each other. And I'm sorry I stole that one, Andrea. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> um, I mean, I would just add, you know, home for more. I, I guess I'll keep with what I've been talking about today, which is representation, disability, um, representation, uh, more spaces of belonging, which I mean, alludes to, it's similar to what Ali said, more spaces where we can um, home, where we can feel at home, whether that's our housing communities, whether that's at our jobs, you know, places of employment, whether that is, um, you know, in recreational spaces, whether that's feeling, you know, even more like we belong when we turn on the television or scroll through social media or all of that, just more places where we know um, that we um, are valued and that we belong. Isaac, can I ask, what about you? What, what would you say, home for more? Oh, home for more acceptance, because we're not always accepted in this in society. We need people to really understand that disability are, uh, uh, there's a broad spectrum of different disabilities. And just because you don't look disabled doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you aren't. And I want to see more people acknowledge that disabilities aren't visual and they're sometimes, they're not always seen. And I will, and for me, I would like people to to acknowledge that I'm the knowledge that I'm disabled because not that I'm disabled just because I am able-bodied doesn't mean I am a neurotypical person. Absolutely. Thanks, Isaac. Thanks for listening. For more information on the Kelsey or to check out more of my podcast episodes visit thekelsey.org. If you have a topic you'd like me to explore or a person to interview, email me at isaac at thekelsey.org. Goodbye.